Zenit St. Petersburg, Manchester United's opponents tonight, landed Real Madrid and Juventus in their Champions League group. Second by Dominguez, flicked on cleverly and in by Pogrebniak on the line. And Zenit St. Petersburg take the lead. Charmin, get it back off Sirianov. Teka, they might be in for a second, they are. Zenit have surely won it now in added time. Zenit have won their first ever European trophy. It's Zenit's night. Russian football is on the march. Manchester United beaten again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the teams of our lives with Andy Brassel and me, Marcus Speller. Hello. Arms in the air immediately, Andy. Yep, I'm reaching for a trophy. Oh, which Although, one? If I was going to clasp this particular trophy, yes. I would not need to put my arms wide. What I would need to do mm-hmm. is pick it up at the base. Oh, yeah. Bend the knees, not the back. Yes. And then, because it weighs over 15 kilos, mm. give it a proper oomph. It's an absolute beauty. Into the sky. It's one of my favourite trophies, actually. Same. Yeah. It is, of and course. as uh, Elton from FC Porto, yeah. their, their uh, fabled goalkeeper, once said to me, you need to be a real man to relift this trophy. Yeah. Did he really? Yeah, he did. Cheeky sausage. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Zenit St. Petersburg's 2008 UEFA Cup winning side under Big Dick Advocate. Yeah, Big Dicky. Big Dicky baby. Um, the UEFA Cup is a gorgeous trophy. Absolutely gorgeous. It is. And even even now it's the Europa League. It's the it's got the same beauty. I bet you'd love to guzzle some grog from that trophy, Andy, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd get a bit of apple juice in the bottom, it'd be good. I like how certain types of Aussies call booze grog. <laughs> I don't think they do it seriously. Maybe like one or two people in the outback or something. But... I wonder what the <laughs> Russian expression for grog is. Vodka. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Russian word for water is vodka. Yes. So mind how you go if you're there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Uh, yes. That, these Zenit St. Petersburg, they would be one of the teams which, again, we always say this, don't we, that oh, years ago they could be a surprise package because you didn't have the media, you didn't have uh, the, the video clips and, and all that internet to see what they were like. But still in 2008, they were bit of an unknown quantity for many people in this country certainly and they were a team who played their way into the tournament winning in uh, on away goals in some of the early rounds and then when it got to the crunch time they were flipping brilliant yeah they were and i think they're one of the good examples of the working of when you get a bit further down the line, when the UEFA Cup becomes the Europa League, mm. why there is that idea of the Europa League morphing into a mini Champions League. Yes. Sort of close that gap between Champions League and UEFA Cup because you you look at both the season that they won the UEFA Cup mm-hmm. and the season afterwards, they have good moments in the Champions League but can't quite get there. Yeah, they finished and, third in their group. Yeah, and I think, you know, you get further down the line the, the, the following year when Shakhtar Donetsk win it. They're a team that needs to take time to build up a level so they can consistently mm-hmm. compete in the Champions League. Ultimately, they, the perpetual Ukrainian champions, do that a lot better than mm-hmm. Zenit, who, like them, 
have got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Let's not beat around the bush there. Well, well. And if, if you we... want to attract big dick, then you've got to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if we're going back to the start of... <laughs> Just enjoy it, Andy. It's fine. <laughs> we're with our Patreon people now. If you want to laugh, laugh. <laughs> Just stop looking at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to attract a top coach, you need money. And, mm. um, the and, reason... and they certainly have. <laughs> yeah, the reason Avocat ended up there in the first place is... He ended up signing for Zenit in what middle of 2006? Mm-hmm. Because even though that was halfway through the Russian season, because we should underline that at this point, um, the Russian season runs by calendar year. Yes. Like in um, Norway or Sweden or whatever. It's, it's, it's a newer thing that it's mm-hmm. come to a, I guess you would say, orthodox Central European sort of calendar. Um, when Avocat joined, it was probably about six, seven months after the club had been taken over by Gazprom. And at that good point, old Gazprom, ex- exactly, who are very much part of our um, our lives, our, our, yeah, our football experience. Next week days. on Teams of Our Lives, we're going to be talking about the uh, Gazprom um, marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe we'll squeeze a bit of Schalke into this. Give them, <laughs> give, give them some love. But it, it, basically, this was Zenit saying, we want to go to the next level. Mm. And really, if if you look at where they are now, in terms of, you know, they have an incredible stadium mm. in a very enviable position. And, you know, it's one of those things about the Euros, wasn't it? You know, you need that. It's, it's not so easy in COVID times, but in, in sort of, Previous big games in St. Petersburg, you have the on on the lake outside the the, the stadium. You have the, on on the river outside the stadium. You have um, it's almost on an island, so you, you quite often have like presenters on a boat going, "Hey, look at us! We're doing a bit of sailing, and and look at this incredible football stadium behind <laughs> us, which is where we'll be seeing the game of the Amazing. day later." Yeah, yeah, which I I quite enjoy, but at this point they're still at the Petrovsky. <laughs> which I guess a, a little bit like um, Dynamo Kiev to keep it former Soviet. We're making the comparison with um, Shakhtar before mm. when Dynamo Kiev are, are doing things in, in Europe. A lot of the time they're playing at the old Lobanovsky stadium, oh, yeah. which is this completely exposed bowl next to the river, 18,000. I went there during Euro 2012. It's amazing, right? And I, I, I don't know whether I needed to do this or not, but I ended up giving what to me was a small amount of money to a, a member of staff there. He then took me on my little own personal tour. Right. But I don't. I couldn't work out whether I could have just walked in or it was genuinely shut. But I needed someone to hold my BlackBerry and take photos <laughs> of me. So if, if that wasn't worth it, I don't know what was. Uh, You've got to get one taken of you by those incredible floodlights. Oh, I can't remember. They're, they're like doomy trees in in the forest in Harry Potter. Okay, so that I've never seen Harry Potter. Yeah, they, 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 I'll take great. your word for it because I'm because I'm such a ledge. That's why. <laughs> um, but well, yeah, it's, a, it's a lovely little stadium. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Zenit and the Petrovsky. Mm. It, it was something, I, I guess, that kind of played in their favour in mm. the short term. Like long term, they clearly need, were going to go towards like you know bigger, more modern facilities. But I think that's. The incredible thing, seeing this side um, breakthrough, become a player in the European scene, and they had some huge matches in this season. Yeah, it it, it made a 
it made a huge impact, I think, on the on the on the teams they faced there because it's quite sort of small and and hostile. Yeah. Um, Zenit they won the league in two thousand and seven. Went out the domestic cup. I think it was the quarter final. They didn't have European football that year, but they did win the league. And then, of course, the next year they would win the, the, the season that we're talking about here in two thousand and eight, the UEFA Cup, and I think they won the Russia Cup as well. When we talked about Shakhtar Donetsk, they were cleaning up in in Europe in, in Ukrainian football. But that season they won the um, Europa League. Uh, it was. It seemed, looking at the results, looking at the league's position and all that, it seemed like they had gone all in on winning that European trophy because that is going to stand out that little bit more yeah. among the crowd. Because I, again, I that Ukrainian, was super important. And, and so for Zenit, would you, again, I'm looking at the results, looking at what they did the previous year. Okay, they won the Russia Cup, so the, the, the Cup in Russia. So, you know, obviously, yeah. they, they, I'm not saying that they... <laughs> but they, do you think that the, the priority was this... UEFA Cup win. Yeah, they totally maxed themselves out. Right. You look at some of the injuries that they suffered on the route to the final mm-hmm. and just continued ploughing through. But in, in, t- in terms of Advoca, he'd come along, very highly paid. Mm. There was expectation. But bear in mind, when they won the league in 2007, at that point, he's the only non-Russian coach win the Russian league. Right. I mean, which is is pretty incredible, yeah. really. So it was a huge step forward. And that gave him a little bit more license, I think. We knew that further investment was coming down the line. But this was a team that was transitioning into something even greater. Mm. And it was a team that was like pretty close to maturity as well, because you look at like a lot of the key players in that team they're into their late twenties by this time, and you know, obviously, Andreas Shavin is, yeah. is 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 one of the, the the most noted ones. But then you look at Andre uh, Timoshuk in midfield, who's absolutely key for them as 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 well. What about Pav- Pavel Pogrebniak? Pro- Pro- yes, thank you. It always stumps me that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how involved was he? Well, he he had he had a big influence on this season. He didn't score so many goals in the in, in the Russian Premier League, but in terms of the run to the uh, UEFA Cup final. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely integral in that. And, um, you know, you look at him, he, his, his, his goal in the, the, the semi-final against Bayern, for example, was um, an, an important one. I mean, that was, that was probably the pinnacle, the mm-hmm. bit where you realise they're really serious because there's, they play an experienced Bayern team at Petrovsky, having drawn the first leg away, which is an impressive result anyway. Mm. And they just, they just take Bayern to pieces. Yeah, it's, uh, and, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a Bayern team with a lot of names you know. It's got Ribery, mm-hmm. Di Michaelis, Luca Toni. And you think about it, it's, it's a Bayern that are only two years off being a whisker from winning the treble. Mm. So it's, it's an incredible achievement to, to run over them. Also, Zenit go into the second leg of that semi-final with two fit defenders <laughs> two fit defenders yeah. and Roman Chirokov who became an absolute legend for them he just joined between the 2007-2008 seasons um, real sort of enfant terrible of Russian football incredibly talented mm-hmm. midfield player but by God does he know it <laughs> and he, he's, he's someone who um, says what he thinks all the time, mm-hmm. criticises coaches, opponents, 
groundsman. Uh, 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 Governments? <laughs> or is he wise not to go that well, far? Well, when he was when he was further down the the, the line, mm-hmm. when he when he gone back to um, Moscow with Lokomotiv, mm-hmm. um, he, he collared um, one of one of the, one of the groundsmen mm-hmm. after uh, before one game, and he's like, "How do you expect me to play on this? It's a ploughed field." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and this guy was like, "Well." Obviously, I'm deeply offended by that, but you're Roman Shirokov, so I'm not going to answer back. Mm. Well, the thing was, at this point, he's still building his his, his, his reputation. And in this uh, second leg of the semi-final against, against Bayern, he plays a centre-back against Luca Toni. Yeah. And Luca Toni, who along with Pogrebniak, ends up as the joint top scorer in the UEFA Cup in, in, in 2008. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Mm. And he, he doesn't, he barely gives Tony a sniff, yeah. which is really, really impressive, especially as he's he's not the sort of guy, he doesn't look like the sort of midfielder who would be a centre-back and, and certainly not one who could get in a physical battle with Luca Tony. but because he's got such poise, because he's so intelligent, because he's so good on the ball, he makes it work. And it turns into Pogrebniak's game in a few ways, actually, because he scores one of the goals as they absolutely demolish Bayern he also gets a booking mm. that keeps him out of the final. And that's why he ends up, well, part of the reason why he ends up level um, with Tony at the top of the goal scorers charts for that season's Europa Cup. He would have had the chance, UEFA Cup, he would have had the chance to break the record in the final, but never actually made it that far. But it's, it's amazing. There are a lot of good teams, and we spoke about this in our, our recent one on that 2001 Liverpool team, about... UEFA Cup strengths at the time and I still feel that now with the Europa League like once you get to the back Mm -hmm. end you've got a lot of quality teams in there the closest that Zenit really come to to going out in in the run-up is when they play Marseille a very very good Marseille Mm -hmm. side a very exciting Marseille side um, coached by Eric Gerrits and they get absolutely belted in the velodrome Um, they 3-0 down Givril Cissé and Mamadou Nyon on a tear. Mm. They are something incredible. And uh, Malafev, the, the, the goalkeeper, has to make some good saves to stop it turning into a total embarrassment. And then, about 15 minutes left, um, Andrea Sharvin scores a very Andrea Sharvin in 2008 kind of goal. Yep. Because, of course, later, after the UEFA Cup win, he goes... Mm-hmm. plays a brilliant Euro or plays a brilliant couple of games at the Euro, yeah, which yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty much make him the, 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 the player of the Euro. He gets the ball on the left-hand side, miles from goal. There's nothing on. Mm-hmm. And then he absolutely steams past Ronald Zubar all of a sudden. And you look at Arshaf, and he doesn't look massively athletic, mm. but all of a sudden he puts the afterburners on, steams past him. And still you think there's not a lot of players in the box. What can he really create? And he's like, no problem. Tricky angle, curls it into the far corner. And for those of you who are out there at the moment discussing with your mates whether it's a good thing for there to be away goals or not, away goals that count or not. (laughs) You're in favour of away goals. I am. But this is a very good example to the contrary because that night, Mm. Zenit get absolutely destroyed. Mm. They score a goal, pulls them back into a tie they should be out of. They go and win the home leg 2-0 at Petrovsky and this through. this very good Marseille side are out. Yeah. I mean, that's how it happens. They, they I mean they 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 won two games against one against Vero, one Marseille when they went through on away goals that mm. that season. We should also say that 
this is how they played their way into the tournament. They were in um, the first round in a group with Everton and Zenit finished third with five points in that group. Everton were top of that group, winning all four of the games with 12 points. Mm. And again, they go through against VRL on away goals. They, they, they go through against Marseille. I mean, they did beat Marseille 2-0, so they're obviously showing a bit of quality there. Yeah. The next round, they beat Bayer Leverkusen 4-2 on aggregate, which included a 4-1 win. And then they hammer Bayern. And I suppose that's another reason why they took people by surprise. It wasn't just the whole, oh, we didn't know a lot about teams back then and there was less stuff knocking around to find out about the opponent. It was actually the manner in which they went through the tournament as well. Because when uh, you know Rangers getting to the final was a hell of an achievement, I remember thinking, oh, they're going to play Zenit in the final, which, you know, would they probably prefer that for, for Bayern? Because you know some of those Bayern players, you've mentioned them there. Mm. And a friend of mine said, no, this Zenit side are unbelievable. The way they move, the way they pass the ball, the movement off the, the pitch, they, they seem to play in a... In a well, what, how would you describe their playing style, Andy? Um, well, look, they, they, were, they were great to watch. They really used the, the, the full width of the pitch, mm. I think, which was very important. The, the, the full-backs um, were, were totally involved. You got a lot of Anyukov and, and, and Shiri. And going back to Arshavin, I mean, in, in an attacking sense, he did so much in this. I think you look at you look at the major threats in this time, and you've got Fatih Teka, the, the the Turk, who does a very very good job for them for a, a couple of years, mm-hmm. ends up their top scorer in the league that season. But there's so much graft off the ball. You see that by the time you get to the the, the second goal, actually, and he plays a big part in that. But really, so much of the danger is coming from those wide areas, not just the fullbacks, but Ashavin mm-hmm. and Victor Faizulin who was another another guy who scored some vital goals on the, on the run to the, the 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 final and they're sort of i guess when you look at like modern front threes and you think of the fullbacks doing a lot of work and those like the wide forwards not really being wingers yeah but i i genuine wide forwards and being able to come inside and and score both um Arshavin and Faizuddin were that yeah what was also what's also quite impressive looking at the sides is most of that team are from Russia. I mean, there's a few other mm. exceptions, uh, of course, but it's largely a Russian side. Mind you, though, Rangers in, in that final largely Scottish. Um, you know, a number of Scottish starters in there and, and on the bench. Well, they're basically basically got the same as each other. It's sort of probably about three or four overseas players each, mm-hmm. haven't they? Something, some, something like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Choli Dominguez was who ended up making a, a a big influence in his his couple of seasons at Ruby, and he was he was on the bench there as well. Fernando Rickson by this point, well, was, was was yeah, the late Fernando Rickson playing yeah. playing for Zenit as well. Wasn't he? <laughs> Previously, obviously played for for Rangers, but. They they really were the better side in the final. Yeah, Zenit. You know they scored both goals. Uh, well, seventy two minutes and then in injury time. But Rangers never really had a kick that night. Rangers had a few little chances. It was it, it felt a bit like a a lower division side trying to keep pace yeah. with a top flight team in a in a cup tie. Really, didn't it? There, mm-hmm. there was a significant gap, and there should have been a significant gap. Mm. You look at the budget that that Zenit had. It was. Absolutely enormous, mm. and so they, they they win the trophy, and then and so how is this then? 
does this change anything with Zenit going forward? Because people know Zenit now. They're a bit more on the map. Mm. They, they're not seen as a, an obscure team. I don't think your average football fan, and I would include myself in this, would know that much about them, say, if they're in the Champions League next year, for example, and whatnot. But you're aware that, okay, and it's, I mean, there's a bit of cliche in there going to Eastern Europe, you know, whether it be CSK, Moscow, or, or, or a side like that. Yeah. Always a tough place to go, blah, 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 blah. But I think this put Zenit on the map. Yeah, and it helps them sign players as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it convinces, I guess, it, it convinces potential transfer targets. It puts their name on the map. But it also convinces the people who are running the club that it's going in the right direction and let's put more money in. Mm. Because you get to just after this final and they go and break the Russian transfer record by buying Danny mm -hmm. from uh, Dynamo Moscow. And he goes on to become a really important player for them. Of course, he makes his debut in the UEFA Super Cup in Monte Carlo mm -hmm. against Manchester United. Danny scores the winner. He's man of the match. Pogrebniak gets, gets the other goal as well. Mm -hmm. But that night, I, th I think, I remember watching it on British TV and there was a sense of, hang on, this team have paid 30 million for a player. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pal. Let's see what you're made of. Yeah. And then Danny has a fantastic match and United just can't deal with him at all. And he, he ends up being a, a legendary player in the history of the club. Yeah. And when not that long after this, when did they sign Ulke? Hulk, as we call him. That would be, let me think, probably about... I'll put you on the spot there, Andy. I'm, I'm going to say 2013. Okay. But, you, but they suddenly became... Um, Aside, that were in the transfer market for for big players. Yeah, okay, yeah, a certain I mean, type the, of player. You the, can't. The even... money really flies in. I mean, they they signed Axel Witzel in. I, yeah, I, I know, 2012. Top of my head, it was twenty. It was twenty twelve for Witzel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean those those players cost an absolute fortune. Now that creates a different sort of expectation, of course, because there's yeah. frustration that they can't get further in the the Champions League. Mm -hmm. There's frustration and. This might remind you of the, the the early days of Euro 2020. That if the football's not fantastic, mm -hmm. there's a bit of pushback from the fans yeah. there as 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 well. So um, you, you know, it's you've just got to accept. I, I think the UEFA can't win for, for for what it is. It's the start of something, but in terms of future expectations, it's equally a blessing and a a curse. Yeah, is is that why? I mean, there be a number of reasons perhaps. But Dick Avocat, he left in 2009. Yeah, he did. Do you think he felt? I mean, I can't remember. Was he sacked? What yeah, was, he was fired. And it was that because because they were expecting, right? Come on, Champions League let's now. Win, let's win everything. Yeah, and I, the I, leap is enormous. Well, and and you don't want to be the guy who you you know you don't want to be the dick uh, saying to them, "Sorry, guys, but like that that's probably as good as it's going to get for now." If you see what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We getting out the group now is is going to be an achievement in the Champions League. People don't want to hear that. They get a taste for success and they want more. Yeah, and I, I think you look at like a year or two after this when um, they go and spend a, a, a load on players, as is often often the case. Um, uh, Bruno Alves is, is one of those who signs. Good old Bruno Alves. Oh, yeah. And um, they, they pay over 20 million for him, mm -hmm. for, for Porto. And in one of his first games, they go to Auxerre and, and lose in the Champions League. And Auxerre, of course, a club with history, a club with 
Giro, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but for, but, for but, outside but still, of France, they're for, not... For, for Zenit, with their truckload of money to turn up mm. and get beaten in small-town Burgundy is, is not cool. No. So that, that's, that's the, the, the point at which they start to become enveloped by this real tension around their Champions League performances. And Zenit now, today, you know, they have the biggest budget of, of any club in Russia. Mm. So there is that contingent expectation. Um, and, you know, th- th- they won the league this season just passed. Will they sack the manager if they can get someone better? You bet your last quid they will. <laughs> so, you know, th- th- this is, you know, the start of them as a big name on the European scene, but it's also the start of unbearable expectation. Mm. When all said and done, though, Andy, big dick left his mark. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to The Teams of Our Lives. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Andy and I will be back next week. Another great team. You know the routine. See you then. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. When we go back to the start of why Big Dick ended up there in the first place... You thought you'd have a go, didn't you? You thought, I'm going to get involved here. I did. I did. Like, that's your department. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If if you want to get a top... He's gone again. Gone again. Edit, edit, edit. I've got to stop it.